0: Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, February 24, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me and there were a bunch of impressive performances this weekend. Duke won at Syracuse by double digits without Zion. Virginia won at Louisville by double digits while holding the Cardinals to 15 second-half points. Kentucky blasted Auburn by 27 points at Rupp Arena. LSU beat Tennessee, even though Tremont Waters did not play. North Carolina snapped Florida State's eight-game winning streak with an 18-point win over the Seminoles. Michigan State went into Michigan shorthanded and won. We're going to get to some of that, probably most of that, at some point in this podcast, but I wanted to start with the most impressive performance of the weekend from a point spread perspective in a nationally relevant game, and that was Texas Tech's 91-62 beatdown of kansas texas tech was a four and a half point favorite one by 29 so they covered by 24 and a half points and now bill self's jayhawks are two games back at kansas state and one game back at texas tech in the big 12 standings they're tied for third with four regular season games left Norland, the two questions how awesome was texas tech saturday night and are you finally ready to write a eulogy for ku streak of big 12 titles
1: because it's a problem
0: it's probably about to die
1: uh, you know, I am so sick of the Kansas question, but you know what? This is what you get if you're Kansas and you win fourteen in a row. This is this question's just gonna get thrown out there. I'm not ready. I will I will be ready finally if Kansas does not win at home Monday night against Kansas State. That is a huge game, the biggest game of Monday. K-State's got to go on the road there. And remember, Kansas lost against K-State back earlier this month uh, You know, in a relatively decent game there. So that's that's a big one. And then they're on the road against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, both winnable for Kansas, even with the shorthanded roster. And then they get Baylor at home to finish. I think it's completely plausible, maybe not more likely than not, but it is plausible that Kansas does not lose a league game again finishes with five losses overall and five losses to me is going to put you at the top of the standings in this conference probably sharing it with at least one more team but that's where I stand if KU loses on Monday night then I'm done then it's over they're going to have a three they're going to have a three game deficit in the loss column we'll not be able to make that up but I will stick with that for now as for Texas Tech extremely impressive they are the inverse of Villanova. Villanova was bad early, really good in the middle, and now have lost four of five. And the Wildcats are a, a complete mystery, like the, the least trustworthy top 30-ish team, if you even want to define them that, in the country. Whereas Texas Tech started well, dropped a com- more competitive game than, than the final score indicates and back to Duke uh, right before Christmas. I can't believe that it's been more than two months since that game was played. This season is Paris. This season is zipping by. Um, then they take the lull, like Michigan State, who we'll get to in a little bit. They drop three in a row, lose a game in horrible fashion at Kansas uh, earlier this month. And since then, it's been back to the, w- the winning ways. 62. Those are the opponent's totals against Texas Tech, which has reclaimed its spot as the best defense in America. What it did to Kansas was a complete ass-kicking. That was extremely, extremely impressive. And now Texas Tech's schedule wraps up like this in the regular season. Home to Oklahoma State, that's a W. That's a win. At TCU, that's a loss. Home to Texas, that's a win. At Iowa State, I don't know. Iowa State's not trustworthy all that well either, but Texas Tech is back in in fine form. And whereas this team made the Elite Eight last season, I have belief that it can get back there. not saying I'm going to pick them to do that, but, man, they are really coming together and gelling really well. Matt Mooney, the South Dakota grad transfer, is now shooting 40% from three. They've got other guys who can shoot it from deep, and when you've got that plus the defense, very, very impressive. And a little bit – I don't want to say parachute was lost over the weekend – but with all, like, you know, the Duke hype and all this stuff and some other notable games, it felt maybe like the the, uh, the Texas Tech stuff might have just uh, breezed past some folks. So I'm glad we opened with that.
0: To your point about uh, Monday night's game between Kansas and Kansas State being huge, you can't overstate how big it is because, um, as you noted, if – If Kansas loses that game, it's basically game-set match because Kansas State would then have a three-game lead over Kansas with just three games left to play, which would mean any additional Kansas State win or Kansas loss would end it officially. And two of KSU's final three games are home games against unranked Baylor and unranked Oklahoma. Both Baylor and Oklahoma are sub-30 Kenpom teams, and for whatever it's worth, Kansas State has not lost at home to a sub-30 Kenpom team all season, so it seems unlikely they do it twice in the final eight days of the regular season, right? So, um, I, I do think if Kansas State goes into Allen Fieldhouse um, and wins, that that's it. Even if Kansas wins Monday night, though, um, I mean, yeah, the only here's I'll bottom line it this way: I think. The only chance they got to even share it at this point is to win out because that would keep them at five wins, but they would still, I mean, five losses, but they would still need Texas Tech to lose somewhere. And you went through that schedule. I don't know that they're going to lose anywhere. They sure as hell won't lose if they've been playing, if they keep playing the way they've been playing. They've won five straight Big 12 games by an average of 25 points. And that includes the beatdown uh, of Kansas. So it's not guaranteed that Texas Tech's going to even take a fifth league loss But I sure as hell don't think they're going to get to six league losses. So Kansas has got to win out, and it is, um, from a probabilities perspective, it's unlikely they're going to do
1: it. Unlikely, but Iowa State's good enough to do it. They're just an enigma. They've been an underachieving team as of late, have the Cyclones. So we'll see on that. But the Big 12, hey, we've got some real uncertainty, true uncertainty down the stretch here. We'll, uh, We'll wait and see.
0: So Duke won at Syracuse without Zion Williamson on Saturday night. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. So Duke won 75-65 at Syracuse on Saturday night between uh, in front of a, a record-setting crowd. Zion Williamson did not play, and neither Trey Jones nor Cam Reddish played well, but R.J. Barrett was awesome. Took 20 shots, made 14, finished with 30 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds, led the team in points and assists. And more than anything, and I sort of wrote about this at CBSSports.com, it was uh, a reminder, this game. Eh, maybe we didn't need a reminder, but it served as a reminder that, even when Zion Williamson is out, Duke still has the best player on the floor every game it plays, no matter who it plays. His name's R.J. Barrett. I mean, he was, he's going to be a, a first-team All-American, should be, right there with with Zion Williamson. Would you agree with that?
1: I would not agree with that right at this moment, Parrish. I'm not putting it out of hand. I think it is possible. But there's a lot of good dudes out there. I actually think that the first-team All-America race is developing into something that's really fun. You're right in that any game that Duke plays, if Zion's not on the floor, then RJ's the most talented dude, almost almost definitely. But given what Gonzaga's doing, I think Brandon Clark's going to be in the mix there. Uh, if Texas Tech wins the Big 12, Jarrett Culver's going to compete for that. Um Grant Williams or P.J. Washington, if one of those teams get a one seed, Marcus Howard is in the mix. I don't think that Ja Morant is a sure thing, but GP, if he averages 20 and 10, he'll be the first player ever to do that. So he's going to clearly be in the mix there as well. And so it's a matter of those guys. And hey, like Cassius Winston with what he did today, if Michigan State doesn't lose again, he's there. So it's a matter of like, do, not that Zion and RJ would cancel each other out, but it's, RJ's going to be bumping up against other players, and then it's the voting contingent that would be willing to say, I'm going to put two Duke guys on the team as opposed to having one guy from different teams.
0: Um, for what it's worth, at the Ken Palm Player of the Year uh, ratings, uh, Zion Williamson is number one, Ethan Happ is number two, R.J. Barrett is number three. So there's two Duke players in the top three there. If you're curious, the rest of the top ten, Jarrett Culver, Carson Edwards, Brandon Clark, Cassius Winston, Rui Hachimura, Grant Williams, and Marcus Howard. Um, as, as always, we'll see. But I think if I had to turn in a ballot for first-team All-Americans today, it would have both Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett on it. Trivia time! When was the last time one team had two first team AP All Americans?
1: This is a, first of all, I'm proud of you because you know what? That is not only relevant to the discussion, that is a great question. Um, and I would also note, Parrish, if we had to file right now, I would put Zion and RJ on my first team, but I want to see how the rest of the season plays out. What he did against Syracuse was awesome. The last team to have two first team All Americans. Okay, first first question is this Has it happened within the past two decades? yes okay um just uh, okay two first teamers
0: and i'm do being y- specific here ap all america
1: yes 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 do you feel as though the answer is is relatively gettable given you know as someone who covers college basketball or maybe like a little bit of a sneaky one you'll either get it
0: or when i tell you you go oh yeah of course
1: all right. Give me three guesses. My first one, this is a blind guess, just because it's a recent team that had two good players. I don't think it's right, though. Did Decker and Kaminsky both be first-team All-Americans? That is not it. Okay. My second guess, then, is... I don't... Okay. Um Oh, <laughs> perish. Uh My second guess is there's just uh, no. It's not. not, I was. I'm not. I'm not going to guess that one. I'm not even going to put it out there. Um, This is a great question, GP. Um, No one from Nova. No one. Did you? Did Hansborough share it with anyone? UNC. Am I in the right? Am I in the right? uh, Right church there? UNC.
0: I will tell you that if Hansborough did do it with somebody, and I'm not—I don't know whether he did—it has happened more recently than when he was in college.
1: It has happened. Hmm. Okay. So it wouldn't have been the Hansborough. Um. I don't feel like Kansas would have had two guys share it. Um. Parish, like, you got. Just tell I, me when you. I think I think you have me stumped here because I don't feel like any of the like it would have it would have I feel like it was only Towns and it was only Anthony Davis. So I don't think either of the Kentucky ones did it. So you stumped me and shouts to if any listeners got this as I've been mulling this in real time, particularly the fans of this team, they probably know it. But uh who is it?
0: You were on your you on the right path. You were headed the right direction, but you gave up. Two thousand ten Kentucky, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins.
1: I, I mean that I want to. I want to walk off this podcast right now. I'm so angry. I'm so angry. You named
0: two Kentucky teams and didn't go to 2010. John Wall and Demarcus Cousins. You know who else was the first team All Americans? AP All Americans.
1: Uh, hold on. Let me. Let me guess. So that is 2010. Yeah. Um, was Jimmer good enough to be an All American that year?
0: No. I mean, he might have been. He was not a first team AP All American.
1: Um. That would have been the year Duke won it. I feel like no one on Duke's team would have been good enough. No one on Butler would have been good enough. 2010 who else was good uh that was not now that was 2010 I I want to say that was uh because I'm trying to remember when I it was before I got the CBS job I think that might have been Evan Turner's year maybe Evan Turner was the year before though um is one of them what's up
0: Evan Turner is one sweet, of them
1: sweet so I need two more Jesus Gettable names or no? They're gettable. Neither one went on to have any
0: sort of um, good NBA career. Um, both played in what was both played in the Big East.
1: Twenty ten Big East. Oh, um, are we thinking? Uh, no way. We're not thinking the guy that went down in the in the Final Four for West Virginia, uh, are we?
0: No, 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 no. One. Okay, I'll give you a hint. One was a transfer. Transferred into a Big East program. Played, I believe, just one year there.
1: Uh that's not, that's not that helps me in, in no way. I'm not remembering a twenty ten transfer GP. Both in the Big East. Uh I don't know. Give it up. Give it up. Who is it? Wes Johnson, Syracuse. He was a first team AP All American.
0: First-team AP um, All-American teammates that year was Scoop Jardine and Brandon Trish and uh, Chris Joseph and Andy Rottens and Mookie Jones. Um, And then the other one was Scotty Reynolds at Villanova.
1: I should have gotten Scotty. Shame on me. Uh, Wes Johnson was an awesome college player. I just didn't realize he was that strong. And I believe transferred from Iowa State, if memory serves correct.
0: That is correct. So the last time two teammates were both first-team AP All-Americans, 2010 Kentucky. John Wall DeMarcus Cousins, and you might remember this. It was that same year on January 26, 2010, uh, that Kentucky team was undefeated. They were 19-0. and 0. They went to South Carolina. Devin Downey got 30 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, 68-62, upset of the Wildcats. He was an honorable mention, AP All-American.
1: Shouts to Devin Downey. That's a disgrace, by the way. Honorable mention. Get out of my face with that. Get out of my face.
0: Get out of get out of my freaking face with that honorable mention crap.
1: (laughs) Any lingering thoughts from the Duke win, by the way, other than RJ Barrett was awesome and Alex O'Connell is only good when he plays Syracuse.
0: I know, right? And uh, they okay, they burnt real quick on this. A little bit, like people were putting in my Twitter mentions. Do you have any issue with Mike Shishetsky burning the red shirt
1: for Baker? Obviously, yeah. No, I no, and in fact, see on. What was what was interesting is uh, so we had like a preview show on CBS Sports HQ on Saturday. I was just talking for an hour about college basketball. So clearly we're going to preview the game. And I said, what's going to be fascinating about this is that Krzyzewski's had the time to plan for this without Zion Williamson. So we're going to see a certain dimension, I think, tonight from Duke that we just haven't seen all year by necessity because of what Zion does on both ends of the floor. Now, I didn't think that he would burn the red shirt. Um that was an unexpected move and he wasn't you know he wasn't a deciding factor in that or not. Uh, but it was a little interesting that he did that given that we expect Williamson to return. Frankly, maybe as soon as the Virginia Tech road game, but probably I think it's more likely maybe it's the one after that. Maybe they want to sit him after winning at Syracuse and see what they could do without him. Uh, So the question becomes like you burn the red shirt and the assumption is you wouldn't have burned it if Williamson never got hurt. And yet he's not going to be out for a long time. So why do it? I don't have an issue with it because, frankly, the kid has to. Like, you can't force him like to be like, we're going to burn this for you now. Like, I mean, you know, there's there was obviously a discussion that was had, um, but I feel like you're setting me up in that people made it a thing. If it was made into a thing, I miss that entirely.
0: Oh, it was made up into a thing by, I mean, North Carolina and Kentucky fans, right? Okay. You know, the, the type of fans who make everything, about every, make everything a thing. Um, I, I would assume that you don't do that without talking to the kid first. You don't do that without talking to the parents first. And so I I, I, I don't I, I can't imagine there's a scenario where Mike Shishinsky sat down um, with the parents and said we're going to redshirt this freshman year and develop and then we're going to get all these you know lottery picks out of here and then your son will have a, a year of practice under his belt and steal four years of eligibility and then just yank the redshirt you know in the middle of February and play him five minutes I just I just fundamentally I just simply do not believe that's the way that went down and so you got to assume that there was a conversation had and everybody was on the same page. And so if everybody's on the same page, why would I be upset about it?
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, We'll see how much playing time he gets going forward. We'll see if Williamson returns before we have our next podcast. Again, Duke plays at Virginia Tech on Tuesday night. I think Duke can win at Virginia Tech without him because uh, I'm not I'm not sure how much better Virginia Tech even is than Syracuse um, because without Justin Robinson like what's it's an interesting dichotomy in that uh, Zion Williamson gets hurt and Duke for, Duke to its credit has been fairly uh, responsive and transparent about a lot that's happened there now maybe some of that is by nature the fact that it is Zion Williamson. Um, And then Buzz Williams has been basically mum on Justin Robinson, the nature of the injury, how long he'll be out, um, whether he will return this this season or not. And so you've got uh, two different kinds of players and two different kinds of offenses uh, that are going to be clashing there. And, you know, for sure, Robinson's not going to be on the floor, barring something that we just are completely unaware of. And then Williamson, we wait and see on that. But that game does mean something. Like, this game helped Duke keep the number one overall seed standing, in my estimation. And now, if it can get this one, like, it still holds there. Otherwise, the ACC race, I mean, it's a, three, it's a three-way tie atop the league right now. North Carolina looked good against Florida State over the weekend. Virginia trailed by double digits, then won by double digits against Louisville. Tony Bennett is, like... Nine and one all time against Louisville. That <laughs> Cardinals fans cannot stand the sight of Tony Bennett at this point. Uh, so, but with all that, with all that we saw, GP three-way tie atop the ACC, twelve and two apiece with those teams, and so the jockeying for really good seed standing as well is still in play, and that's why the Duke game on the road Tuesday night is just interesting and potentially has some consequences if Williamson does not play.
0: Can you imagine being nine and one against Louisville and zero and one against
1: UMBC? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, there's really only one person who can't imagine that because Tony Bennett is the only one, but yes.
0: <laughs> Switching <laughs> gears to the SEC, LSU beat Tennessee in overtime even though Tremont Waters didn't play. Just an enormous win, and we'll get into what it means for LSU and its SEC title hopes in a moment. First, let me ask you this, because I was asked this earlier today on radio by our colleague Barrett Saleh. Um, Should the ref have called the foul on Grant Williams with less than a second left in OT and basically ended the the game. I yes. mean that that, that call into the game.
1: Yes. Uh yes, have to call that. Now it's a funky play like Turner gets off the 3, he's he's trying to beat the clock. It was on time and yet like a little bit rushed at the same same time if you feel me there and then it's a weird bounce off that uh Javante Smart who steps in for point guard in in replace of Waters and has the game of his life as a freshman. He played well, you know, as fate would have it, it lands in his hands. He hits the sinking, uh, the clinching shots, and no better guy to do it after the game he had, although Skylar Mays was also very, very, very good and played all 45 minutes in that one. But Grant Williams, you know, instinctively is going for the rebound. He bumps bodies. To me, Parrish, I don't even think it's controversial. you got to call the play in that moment, and it made for a really weird end of game for Williams because the play before, he had a beautiful spin move uh, to to notch the game. I think that tied the game. Or no, I think it might have given Tennessee a two-point lead, and then LSU came down and tied it. And then Tennessee gets a a decent look, like a perfectly thrown shot, uh, pass to, down to Williams, who has to take, like, it's kind of a tough fall away to the side uh, from the right side uh, that didn't fall in. But I had no issue with the call.
0: I'm with you. I, you know, the alternative to calling the foul is not calling the foul. What happens if you don't call that? I mean, it's undeniably a foul. I mean, it, it was it's a collision. And, the you know, you're in Baton Rouge. You know, I know that calling the foul gets Rick Barnes Furious and in your face, not calling it has Will Wade probably running out there to fight you. I mean, plus like fifteen thousand LSU fans. You gotta you gotta make the call. It sucks because if there is no foul there, we're going to double overtime because no matter who gets that ball, if 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 it's if somebody gets it cleanly, it, no, nobody's scoring. You know, Devontae Smart's not throwing it seventy feet, and you know Grant Williams didn't put it up another shot with less than a second to go. Whoever grabs the ball, it's it's irrelevant, which, you know, I know Grant couldn't probably recognize this in real time, but, you know, if you could pause it and just say, just okay, this, this overtime period is over, we're going to the next one, do not commit a foul, obviously that was the smart thing to do, but playing basketball in real time can be uh, slightly more difficult than that. So it, it sucks because it, it really did decide a game, on, and it was a on a play where neither player could have decided the game without a whistle. And so I get why you're frustrated at Tennessee. if you're a Tennessee fan, but you should be frustrated with Grant Williams more than the referee. The referee did his job. Not to mention, if the referee doesn't make that call, and this is the thing that I think sometimes gets lost with the let the players decide the game crowd, swallow the whistle crowd. These guys all have bosses, and they're evo- getting evaluated every minute of every game. And if you don't make that call, yeah, LSU fans might uh, – uh, you know, my LSU fans – I mean, Tennessee fans might be happy with you, but your bosses are going to be mad at you because you didn't do it correctly. So I don't blame the official at all. He did what he had to do.
1: He did. And um, I really, like I, – I don't want to – we're going to be t- – I know we are destined to talk about officiating in March. It is going to happen. I don't want to, but I, it is an inevitability. So I don't want to spend really uh, more than a minute on this. But I. you have to acknowledge, and for everyone that watched that game, just – Borderline unwatchable in how many times the officials had to go to the monitor and review a call, review the clock. Was it a block? Was it a charge? There was one where the guy was clearly in the circle, and they still had to go and they reviewed it like it was absurd. So no, on
0: top of no, how let me stop Barnes- you there for a second because okay. I would I had just landed um, back home and I was um, driving home, so I was listening to the game on the radio, and so I was going to ask you about this because I didn't see it with my own eyes, but it it the way the Tennessee play by play by play announcer described it. It was he, – he says, okay, they call a – they call a block yeah. on a – somebody. And then they go to the monitor to see if he's in the restricted zone. It doesn't matter if he was in the restricted <laughs> zone. If you call it a block, it's a block. What What – what, what what does it matter if he's in the restricted restricted
1: zone or not? Correct. I don't even know what the deal with that one was. Parrish, literally, they went to the monitor. I'm not exaggerating. Minimum five, maybe as many as seven times in the final, like, three minutes of regulation and then counting overtime as well. It totally ruined the flow of the game, and it was also part of why, like, Barnes has just had it. Like, your team loses a big game on the road, rowdy crowd, uh, not a not a visually appealing or stimulating game at all, and then you get the call on Williams at the end. So, like, Barnes, who, who doesn't particularly run that hot, like, he was and he had a right to, and in that moment, you're just like, you're so sick of it, like. The game's over. Your team lost. You had to deal with all this bullcrap, with all this stalling that happened. Um, I hope that the director of SEC officiating and basically anyone that is a, a part of the officiating experience and, and adjudication of any sort of uh, assignments or, or penalties or whatnot, anything. Just that game was happening in a in kind of a standalone moment on Saturday afternoon, and let it be in a, uh, something to. Uh, to be wary of when we get to March. You can't have that. I mean, it is going to be, college basketball is going to get killed if we get an NCAA tournament game of any sort of note that goes through what we had there. Um, you can improve the, re- the replay process, the review process. Um, so that just, given what happened, we had to acknowledge that ending period. But for LSU, by the way, just a great win. The SEC like the ACC is now a three team tie atop the league standings. Tennessee has now dropped its uh, its two most recent games, both against by the way, the two best teams not named Tennessee in the SEC. I think a lot of teams, not all, but plenty of teams would have lost if they had to go play at Kentucky and then had to play at LSU. So they're all now 12-2 and two in the league. LSU is is positioned well to finish atop the league standings now because its remaining games are A&M, Bama, Florida, Vanderbilt. Guess what? None of those teams are above 500 in SEC play. Meanwhile, Kentucky and Tennessee schedules are tougher than that, not to mention when you include the fact they have to play each other. So I think the eventual outcome here is I think Kentucky's playing the best of any team in the SEC right now but I think that Kentucky will lose at Tennessee and what will happen is Tennessee and LSU will share the end of the regular season championship and Kentucky will be one game behind and then go watch watch this and then watch Kentucky win the the SEC uh tournament championship and when that happens if that happens if that all breaks out just the way that it did you're going to have all three of those teams have a really really strong shot at the 2 line or better i think this, the floor for lsu at that point is a three uh similar to tennessee so things are getting really interesting in a hurry it has been a long time since the sec had this many these three teams that were so strong at the top of the league you know viable final four contenders
0: uh tennessee is still safely on the two line even though they've lost two of their past three games because here's the truth and, and you made this point like they're they're road games against legitimate top 20 teams like good teams are going to lose those games like getting blasted at Kentucky on a big stage was less than ideal and obviously losing at LSU when there's no Tremont Waters there you got to take advantage of that I, I think you know Tennessee went from you know a projected maybe a projected underdog in that game to a projected favorite it it. it Absolutely affected the point spread just before tip-off, um, and so you, when you're when you're ahead in that game for much of that game, and the other team's best player's not there, you want to you want to knock it out. But I mean, they still got three high-level freshmen operating at LSU. But that was the weird thing. What if I told you Tremont Waters not going to play and Nas Reed not going to play well? It's valid. Well, how's LSU win? I, but then I, they know. they won. They won. Nas Reed didn't play well. I don't think he had a field goal. Tremont Waters didn't play. LSU still wins. And um, now I think we're going to have a shared SEC, uh, you know, regular season shared championship. But LSU is probably, I think, probably going to be a part of that. And they got a chance to maybe win it outright, depending on what happens going forward. Tennessee's next up at Ole Miss. If you want to start asking questions about them, you can do it if they take another loss there, even though LSU, I mean, Ole Miss has been in the top 25 at one point this season and uh, Kentucky You know, Jerry Palm now has them on the one seed line. I will have them in the top four, which um, represents a a one seed uh, in Monday morning's top 25 and one. So John Calipari's got that thing um, undeniably headed in the right direction. They're playing really, really well right now. Uh, On Sunday afternoon, Michigan, Michigan State was the uh, biggest game of the day and Michigan uh, at home. Where it was undefeated, playing a shorthanded Michigan State team, and could not get it done. Michigan State goes and wins seventy-seven seventy, and so just a massive win for Tom Izzo and that bunch. Uh, I'll be honest; I didn't give them much of a chance to go into Michigan and win, given you know that they're missing forty percent of their best starting lineup. And yet uh, they go in there, play well. And you mentioned mentioned Cassius Winston as a possible first team All American earlier. He had 27 points, eight assists. He was seven of 13 from the field, 13 of 14 from the free throw line. Just an awesome performance.
1: What a performance there by Winston. And I believe I had this one on the podcast, Parish. I took Sparty to win on the road, took a little chance, got a little bit lucky. Very nice win for them in doing so. Uh, take a step ahead in the Big Ten race and set up well because these two teams play each other in two of the final four games. And now uh, the Wolverines will have to go. Big Blue will have to go and play at Michigan State to close out the regular season. We'll wait and see if they play each other in the Big Ten tournament thereafter. But... Michigan State doing that the way that it did. I think, you know, if you want a, a reason why it's able to do this kind of thing and play that well and end score, you know, 77 on Michigan. A very impressive performance. No Lankford. No Nick Ward. Um I think a lot of the way that Tom Izzo has built this offense, and Cassius Winston has just developed into such a, a great college player, is is a significant reason for that. Uh, very impressive. Now, I have to be completely transparent here, though. So, as as listen as the crossover of Twitter followers and podcast listeners will know, I went to the uh, Cincinnati UConn game in Hartford on Sunday, which wound up being actually relatively it was a relatively like decent game. I said hello to your bud Khalid amin I said hello to our CBS Sports HQ. Khaled rip hamilton both of them on the 1999 championship squad for uconn they were honored along with jim calhoun and almost the entire team there uh, on hand at hartford so I, i caught that game cincinnati won that's a good underrated team but i was making my way back home so i missed most of this game so i didn't see like the first half play out with these teams uh whatsoever but it is a great sign bottom line it this way michigan is still operated like an elite defense michigan state goes into their building Without two of their four most important players and drops 77 and wins with a little bit of elbow room. That's a that's a great sign for Michigan State, which seems to have shaken off that three-game losing streak that it endured uh, about a month ago. And now it's really rolling. Final games at Indiana, that's a win. Home Nebraska, that's a win. Home Michigan, probably a win. If doing so, it would uh, it would finish out at what 17 and three in Big Ten play. Yeah, they're at 20 league games right now, and Sparty would definitely have a chance at a one seed there. Uh, Probably be sitting pretty well considering the fact that the numbers are going to bake in to help them. This race is the best conference in America, and so the number of quad one and quad two opportunities will help them as well, which leads me to this. You can say whatever you want about Sparty in Michigan, but Parrish, I noticed you have recently switched in your top 25 and one from defining teams and accomplishments by their Kempom Top 100 wins to quad one and quad two. I'm curious as to what the impetus for that was.
0: Honestly, I found a website that sorts all the data automatically, and it's just so much easier to look
1: at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, that really is it. Are you familiar with this website? Um, I, if you're referring to Warren Nolan, yes, I am.
0: Yeah, warrennolan.com. Nolan.com. you're all... just
1: behind the trends, man. This has been a thing for like five, six years.
0: No, no, no. I, I'm aware of Warren Nolan. I just didn't know it was sorting the net rankings the way it was sorting the net rankings until I we were in studio last week, and I was walking by somebody else's computer, like one of the research uh, guys, and I was like, Whoa! They got all of the net ranking stuff sorted right there, oh my updated like every day. He was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Jesus Christ! I cannot <laughs> believe I've been counting Ken Palm wins one, two, three with my finger on my computer screen <laughs> but all season long when this is sorted for you." And really, what you find out is it doesn't. And I think I think this is so, sort of interesting. It really didn't make me change my opinion on where I should have teams that much. It's 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 a diff. It's the it's the information presented differently. But the conclusions you're gonna reach are are very similar.
1: The idea of you, as I know your your daily schedule, because we're essentially married at this point, uh waking up and at like five fifteen in the morning, like you're like eight inches from your screen squinting and you're like you're literally the, the index finger is making contact with the screen as you're counting on the Ken palm slate, like one, <laughs> two yes. wait, wait, am I at six or am I at seven? Damn it, I got to start over here. That's just that's
0: my life. That's my life. (laughs) And so, um, I I really did it. And I, I, today was the first day that I did it
1: because I wanted
0: wanted it to be consistent. I didn't want some team's comments to have Kinpom data and the other ones to have quadrant one, quadrant two data. So I decided I would commit to it, um, on a day where I had to make a bunch of changes anyway. And then I just make changes on every team. And it really, it's again, it's the, it's the information, um, um, you know, presented in a different way, but the conclusions reached are, are pretty similar to what they otherwise would be. Well,
1: um, well I was going to say that was just coincidental that I ended up checking today because I checked for one very specific reason because I try not to look at your rankings too often because, frankly, I don't want them to, uh, to influence my Thursday power rankings. But I was like, you know what? I got to check these things out right now because Wofford got to 24 and freaking four, and they got to be ranked. And shouts to Parrish, putting the Terriers in, I mean, they're um, they're in 26. Eh, you know, 22, 21 would be uh, you know that would be understandable. But uh, but regardless, you finally have put in those terriers who continue to climb up every metric, every ranking. They get a great road win against Furman, and note, like all seriousness, if that team wins out, it it I I think it will have a shot at the six seed. If you look at all of that it's going to have compiled and its lack of bad losses, which is, frankly, an incredible achievement. It's not like Nevada where they had a stacked roster coming back, had made the Sweet 16 and done all this, and and they have future pros. Like, they might have one Fletcher McGee. What Wofford's doing is, in all seriousness, awesome. And uh, I'm just happy that you ranked them.
0: Um, they deserve to be there. I, I think I dropped Iowa State out, and so I had a spot open up, and I was picking between Wofford and Washington. And when I looked at the, you know, the resumes, I, I concluded that Wofford de- deserved to be in over Washington. But good news, Washington fans, because today Villanova lost, um, got blasted, got be pretty good at Xavier. I'm dropping Villanova from the top 25 and one Monday morning. Wofford goes up to 25. Washington will be the new number 26.
1: Love it. Cool.
0: Um, um, anything else? Staying, staying is, to you? Because um, every morning for a while, I t- tweet a link to the top 25 and one. And I want to be clear about this because I think sometimes I speak in absolutes or people speak in absolutes and I don't want to do that because it's not fair. Not all Kentucky fans are crazy. I don't even think most Kentucky fans are crazy, but there are some crazy Kentucky fans and they would tweet me every morning. Why do you how could you possibly have Michigan over Kentucky Paris? You're an idiot Paris. You're biased Paris. You don't watch the game all this stuff you hear right and I was almost today. I was going to tweet in response, like, because I got the question five five times immediately, and I was going to tweet the response. Here's the explanation for Michigan over Kentucky, because there's a lot of reasons to have Michigan over Kentucky um, as of this morning. Um, And if you want to have Kentucky over Michigan, that's fine. You can make that case, too. But there's a lot of stuff there that suggests Michigan can reasonably be ranked ahead of Kentucky. And I was going to tweet the explanation, and I stopped myself again. And I said, the second I do this, Michigan's going to lose at home to Michigan State. And I'm going to have to listen to it more so than I would even otherwise have to listen to it. So I, I hit delete on that tweet, and thank God, because then Michigan loses at home to Michigan State. And Monday morning, yes, Kentucky will be ahead of Michigan. Kentucky will be in the top four. But I, 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 any of Kentucky fans who had tweeted me about this, understand as of Sunday morning, everything I'm about to tell you was true. Uh, Michigan had 11 wins against top 50 KenPom teams. Kentucky had nine. Michigan, uh, I mean, uh, Michigan had fewer losses. Michigan had no sub-50, no losses to sub-50 Ken Palm teams. Kentucky had, still has two. Michigan uh, was undefeated at home. Kentucky's got a home loss. Again, if you want to have Kentucky over Michigan, you can. But I mean, all of that stuff, it, it makes it where it's not crazy to have Michigan over Kentucky as of Sunday morning. As of Monday morning, it might be a little crazy because they just lost at home to a shorthanded Michigan State team, and I will adjust appropriately. But I just wanted to make sure uh, if the Kentucky fans like, sincerely had questions why michigan over kentucky as of sunday morning that would uh that would be the answer oh also as of sunday morning michigan was uh 15 and 4 in quadrant one slash quadrant two opportunities kentucky was 14 and 4 in quadrant one quadrant two opportunities not a big difference but a difference so that, that's the rationale between uh, you know the rationale for Michigan above Kentucky as of Sunday morning, but on Monday morning it will not look the same. Before we get out of here, real quick, um, I wanted to acknowledge what happened in Oxford on Saturday, uh, with some pro-Confederacy groups organizing a march onto the Ole Miss campus. Eight Ole Miss basketball players took a knee during the national anthem to peacefully protest the hate groups. It started with one player, then five more quickly joined him, then two more knelt near the end of the Star-Spangled Banner, and then afterward Ole Miss guard Brian Tyree who could easily be a Game of Thrones character was asked about it and here's what he said. He said, "Quote, we saw one of our teammates doing it and we just didn't want him to be alone. We're just tired of these hate groups coming to our school and portraying our campus like it's our actual university having these hate groups at our school." Then he later tweeted to the people that fight for this country because predictably there was some backlash particularly in Mississippi. To the people that fight for this country, my teammates teammates, and I meant no disrespect to everything you do for us, but we had to take a stand to the negative things that went on today on our campus. Hashtag, we need change. Norlanda, since Colin Kaepernick started his protest during uh, the Anthem in 2016. No high major men's basketball players had taken a knee during the Anthem, not anywhere in this country. And I'll tell you, as a Mississippian, I did not think my home state would be where it first happened, but it happened in Mississippi on Saturday. What would you make of the Ole Miss players, what they did?
1: Yeah, when this started circulating, uh, it took me back, and uh, and I guess in a good way in that I was like, wow, this is happening at Ole Miss. Like, think about the history – and for those that might be listening to the podcast that aren't familiar with it, go ahead and research and look up um, that school and, and what it meant to uh, to integrate universities in the South and in Mississippi and Alabama in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, the gravity of that wasn't lost on me at all. And you can you can and should speak much more to this as this is your this is your home state. Um, it came also. Uh, with a bit of an awkward coincidence, in that Kermit Davis, the coach, when he got the job last year, had specifically mentioned that his team would honor and respect the the national anthem and/or the flag. I don't want to misquote him entirely, but he he mentioned along those lines um, the importance of that. Um, but I have zero issue with them doing this, particularly when you look at you know all of the all of the toxicity that exists with. Uh, racism and things that are connected to the, con- uh, the Confederate flag and how those things can really just create schisms in communities that frankly th- have no business even existing uh, in this world in the United States of America in 2019, uh, let alone when, uh, when some of this was, so much of this was taking place. So credit to Tyree and the rest of his teammates for doing that and for making a statement. It seems like it is going to be a one game kind of thing. Um, who knows? Uh, I thought Davis and, um, uh, the athletic director, Parish. I saw what, what you shared uh, late on on Saturday night. Uh, Ross Bjork, the old Miss AD, also um, passed along his, uh, his thoughts and, uh, you know, his response to what his players did there. But certainly, uh, you know, just it, it strikes a, a powerful image. And the reasons they did it were, frankly, logical, if not uh, not one of pride and wanting to say you know this kind of hate and, and these kinds of clashes that that stem from such evil places have no place on our campus in our community and as we try and you know foster uh the kind of community experience where we can live with each other and respect differences respect being the, the key word i thought it was a very grown-up thing to do and for anyone that might have an issue with it i think you really need to to take a second to pause and just consider um, what what those men and, and frankly, their families and friends going back you know generations have gone through um, pretty awesome response by the Ole Miss players there, I thought.
0: I was proud of the players for doing what they did. And as a Mississippian, you know, I don't just speak as a college basketball columnist on this subject. I speak as a as a Mississippian, as the husband of an Ole Miss graduate. And I was proud of the players for what they did. I was proud of Kermit and Ross for how they handled it. And I told them both that showing support for their players. Hey, a- it was a smart thing to do if only because the alternative is going to get you killed yes. In rec- from a negative recruitment recruiting. For- Ole Miss already has to deal with negative recruiting about Ole Miss's very complicated, somewhat embar- entirely embarrassing past. Um, there's been some ugly, nasty stuff that's happened on that campus. Um, so they already get hit with that. It's why they got rid of Colonel Reb. It's why they banned the Confederate flag. They tried to strip away all of this stuff. And I'll just be honest with you, in within the state, it's not a completely popular thing to do. There are still people, you know, screaming, bring back Colonel Reb. So Omis already gets hit with this. If you're a coach in AD, if you don't stand behind your players, um, it's going to get even worse uh, on the recruiting trail when you are recruiting largely um, African-American uh, student athletes. So it was the smart thing to do, but it was also the right thing to do. And, and so I, I, I was proud of them for handling it the way they did. Um, to Brian's point, um, he's exactly right. What happens is these hate groups – Sometimes they aren't even from the state of Mississippi, the people involved, but they show up in Oxford, Mississippi. They march on the Ole Miss campus. And then it's like the KKK is on campus at Ole Miss. Um, uh, We have a producer at CBS Sports dot com. And and one of her stories about being uh, at Ole Miss, you know, because she traveled uh, to SEC games uh, for the big Saturday games. Her memory of being at Ole Miss is she was there the same time uh, the KKK was was there. That's 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 when you say Ole Miss, that's what she thinks about. And they sort of they show up and then they co-opt the, the the campus and it becomes a KKK is at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is racist. And Brian Tyree's point is these people got nothing to do with our campus, that they walked on our campus, They're not even from here, that they walked on our campus doesn't mean that represents our campus. That's not who we are. And we're tired. Of, of it being portrayed that way. And so I, I, you know, obviously he was going to get asked about it because he's the leader afterward and he did take a knee. Uh, I thought he handled it um, as well as any college student uh, could. And for the people who still don't get it for whatever reason, um, let me just say two things. One, stop calling it an anthem protest. It's not an anthem protest. It's a protest during the anthem. I, I, I had to get... On this page a long time ago, as much as I talked about this subject on radio, talking about this subject on radio in the South, it is not an anthem protest. That's what your redneck uncle calls it. Yeah, they're protesting the anthem. They're protesting the flag. It's not an anthem protest. It's a protest during the anthem. Nobody's protesting the anthem. Nobody is protesting the flag. People are, pro- in this case, protesting the the, the, the Ole Miss players were protesting uh, a hate group that marched onto campus. Um, In Colin Kaepernick's situation, protesting uh, racial inequality and police brutality. But it's not an anthem protest and it's not a flag protest. If you keep calling it that, you're just you're 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 being dumb either because you're dumb or you're intentionally being dumb because you want to make the points you want to make. Secondly, I got this question a lot last night and even into today. Well, I just don't see why they have to do it during the national anthem. You don't. Because that is where it has proven to be effective. You know, Brian Tyree, he could protest on his own time. You wouldn't know if he did it on his own time. It became the biggest story in college basketball yesterday. I mean, it was trending. It was on every highlight show. It was on actual newscasts not SportsCast, NewsCast, because of because they did it during the anthem. That is the point, to peacefully protest in a way that makes people pay attention, that makes people ask questions, that gives you an opportunity to answer those questions, that makes people um, focus on the topic you want them to focus to. People, if Bree and T.I. Reid just went and, and uh, you know, protested at the Starbucks down the street from the hate group, nobody would know, nobody would care. Take a knee in the national anthem right before an SEC basketball game? Okay now got the cameras on you now people are noticing now you're getting to have the conversation that you want to have it worked incredibly for Colin Kaepernick because we had that we've been having these conversations for for nearly three years now and it worked incredibly for the Ole Miss basketball team yesterday and um, that's the answer to why do it during the anthem because that's where it's most effective
1: all right, and that's a great way to wrap this edition of the pod. We'll, uh, we'll be back later later in the week to, to see what, uh, what we got from Monday and Tuesday. We won't be short on news, some interesting results as well. And uh, the hump day ones are always uh, fun and curious in their own regard. So uh, whether we record Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, you know you'll have it right waiting for you. We won't let you down.
0: Once again, shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF Pentigo. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you if you have already subscribed to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. I notice when you do. I read your comments. You guys have been excellent about that. Um, it it really means a lot I appreciate you doing it if you haven't done it yet please go do that subscribe uh, for our purposes sure but it also is the best way to ensure you get the latest episodes as quickly as possible so go do that it takes less than a minute while you're doing that rate it favorably five stars leave a nice comment if you do that I'll owe you forever and either way we will talk to you again uh, late Tuesday early Wednesday till then take care